Good morning. So a note of personal privilege before our text. Um, I'm grateful for uh, time to be out of a routine and kind of in a, a season of rest. But as I uh, was on vacation, whatever that word means these days, what does that even mean? Um, I realized that uh, above all, I, I love this place and I love you, our friends and our family. Um, you know, we're a long way from uh, where our biological homes are. Um, and so this body of Christ is family for us. And so even yesterday as we celebrated Eli's third birthday and I looked around in the room and all the people that were there were um, people that we've come to know and love and cherish from here. Uh, it's just a reminder that I'm grateful for the Lord. I'm grateful for seasons of rest, but I missed you. Um, I'm glad for uh, the ministry of uh, Matt Frey and for uh, Kevin, for Jimmy, for the elders, for the staff um, to, to keep things moving along, but it's good to be back. We are continuing a series this summer uh, as we have kind of ordered our shared lives together around the essential truths of the Apostles' Creed. And this morning, we come to that section of the Creed that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So I'd invite you, if you would, to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 14. Uh, this is one of the key passages in the evangelist's gospel where we see the Holy Spirit being, um, being explained and being taught. And as you're turning there and preparing to hear God's word, just as Kevin prayed, um, remember that it is the Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit that gave breath, that gave inspiration, that gave authorship to the text that we are about to read. And so just as it was his words that, uh, that impelled the, uh, the evangelist to put pen to page, um, would it also be his power that would take these words from page to heart and make them come alive for us? Stand, if you would, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I, am in my, that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. 
These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does, you, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will not talk, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is God's word. It is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love. Let's pray. Father, as we sung, Spirit of God, descend upon our hearts. Illumine your word to us. Help us see and cherish the gospel. Point us to Jesus. And change us. We pray it in the name of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated. I'll draw you back to the same question that I've been asking throughout the course of this series this summer, and that is, why is it important? What is the so what about these creedal things that we've been talking about? You'll remember that I've said that the, the creedal things of the faith are the non-negotiable things. These are the things that if you don't have agreement, belief, unity around these things, then we are not talking about the God of the Bible. It's the other things, the confessional things, the things that people have thought long and hard about that we can, can, we can debate them, we can proof text, we can go back and forth on does this word mean this or does this word imply that? And those are good things to do. And it doesn't mean that, uh, that those things should stop. But what we're talking about in this series is the creedal things, the essential things, that if you don't have this, you don't have the God that, as he's revealed himself in the Bible and ultimately through his son, Jesus. Now we get to a part um, about the Holy Spirit, and this part makes uh, some folks a little uncomfortable because Frankly, we don't really understand much about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen a lot of stuff that, that doesn't look right, but people seem really convinced that it is right, um, where God told me to do this, and God told me to do that, and God told me to, to take this exit or this shortcut or whatever, and God told me to date that girl, and, and what, the list goes on. And then we hear stuff that doesn't sound a lot like something God would say being attributed to God. 
Now, it is easy to go the other way. And in fact, I think this is where uh, perhaps some, even in this room, might have a tendency to fall. You see, when we don't have a, uh, when we don't have a good, solid framework for how to deal with uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we default to our functional trinity, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. If we can just understand the Bible more, it would give us a sense of the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's a question we need to consider this morning. Is Christianity merely a set of beliefs to which we adhere and a lifestyle to which we conform, or is it a dynamic relationship in which we walk with the Spirit and move in his power? In other words, does the power the ministry, the majesty, the glory of the Holy Spirit inflame your heart so that when you talk about what it is to be a Christian, it is not merely a set of facts that you know or a lifestyle to which you conform, but it is a dynamic and real relationship that is powerful that is walking with the Spirit and moving with him. And I'll confess to you that um, there's a reason why um, the jokes sting a little bit about calling Presbyterians the frozen chosen and whatnot. And I don't want to belabor that point, but I do want to ask us, why is it? Why is it that that? For Presbyterians, we can get seen as, as, as just heady, frozen, cold people. Since we are Presbyterians, we can actually poke fun at ourselves a little bit, right? Yes? Just asking. I'll notify you to get you to sign a waiver or something. Um, there, was that old, uh, there was that old joke that when something like this, the Holy Trinity was looking uh, to plan their vacation. So God the Father said he wanted to go to uh, the mountains because they reminded him of his majesty and his glory. Uh, God the Son said that he wanted to go to Palestine, his old stomping grounds. And God the Spirit said he wanted to go to a Presbyterian church because he'd never been there before. I warned you. (laughs) Would our prayer be that the Spirit would move in us in such a way that the joke is not only not funny, but it doesn't make sense? Would it be that God would move in us in such a way? So I think that in order to get there, we need to kind of walk through this text. There's three things I want you to see. Uh, The person of the Spirit, the purpose of the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit. Um, That is, who is the Holy Spirit? What is he for? And how does that power really go at work in our lives? Um, 
the Spirit is not some random, faceless, karma, force thing at work in the universe. The Spirit is a person. It was so important for this Spirit to go to work that Jesus prepared his disciples in advance that the Spirit would be coming and that um, good things would be happening to them. According to um, his book, Jesus Continued, J.D. Greer says this, the Holy Spirit tends to be the forgotten member of the Trinity. There's actually a, wor- a, a book, I think it's published by Fortress Press back in the 80s, called The Holy Spirit, The Shy One. Um, I don't get editors in their titles sometimes. Greer says, most Christians know he's there, but they are unclear about exactly what he does or how to interact with him, or if that's even possible. Yet something was so important about the Holy Spirit that Jesus told his disciples that it was to their advantage that he go away if his departure meant that the Spirit came. The Spirit's presence inside of them he said, would be greater than Jesus' presence beside them. There would be something more tangible, more powerful, more advantageous to the disciples if Jesus left because Jesus beside them was of a second-class blessing to them rather than the Spirit inside of them. In fact, they needed the Spirit's presence so much that Jesus told them not to so much as raise a finger toward the Great Commission until the Spirit arrived. So who was this Holy Spirit? Jesus says in verses 15 and following, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now Jesus is not saying this is some sort of formula. Um, This is just a matter of fact. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments because there's going to be something at work in you. And he goes on and he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him for he dwells within you and will be in you. First of all, the spirit is a person. It is not a, uh, the spirit is not a, 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 a cosmic karma. The second thing that we see about the spirit is that the spirit is divine. Jesus says, I will, uh, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. Now this Greek word another here means another of, of the same kind. So whereas Jesus is divine, there is, a, another, uh, there is another part of the Trinity, another divine um, Uh, spirit that is coming, that is being sent by the Father. The third thing that you see is that the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Now, listen, when you see Jesus' high priestly prayer in 
John chapter 17, where the evangelist is going to uh, turn his attention as an account in just a few chapters. When you see Jesus' prayer there, Jesus is praying what? He says, I pray that they would be one, how? Just as you and I, the Father and I, are one. When Jesus talks about uh, making his presence within his people, verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. How? If Jesus is going to be with the Father, how is Jesus going to manifest himself with them? Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and, he, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So there is this very real sense in which the Father, the Son, the Spirit, one God in three persons is both uh, unity and diversity within himself. And the Spirit is very much a part of that Trinitarian work of God. So that's the purpose. I'm sorry, that's the person of the Spirit. Um, Listen, Ray Kanata says this in his book on the Creed. He said, this, that is why it's good news for the disciples. Jesus was leaving, but it didn't mean that the presence of God would be gone from them forever. In fact, Jesus was saying that God would be even more intimately present to them. When Jesus walked the earth, he merely stood by his disciples. But now in the Spirit, God will live in his disciples. Tim Keller in his sermon on, uh, one of his sermons that he preached on the Holy Spirit said this. He said, "To to be filled with the Spirit is to have your life transformed by an acute consciousness of the glorious person who lives permanently within the walls of your life. To be filled with the Spirit is to have your life transformed by an acute consciousness of the glorious person who lives permanently within the walls of your life. Now, how exactly do we get that acute consciousness of this person dwelling within the walls of our life? How does that not just sound like a bunch of religious talk? We go on and we see what the purpose of the Spirit is. Now, Jesus gave us a description of the Spirit. And if you look at the footnote of your Bible, um, you're going to see a lot of alternate words to try and get at how the ESV ultimately landed. He said, I will pray the Father and he will send another helper. Okay? So the ESV landed on helper. That's fine. We could have also settled for... Advocate, comforter, counselor. Various translations, all reputable of the scriptures, have tried to get uh, at the meaning of this Greek word by giving those words. Now, you should know that when, a, uh, when the translators are trying to come up with a good English word, it doesn't mean that we don't know or we're unsure about what this word that Jesus was using actually means. The problem is we don't have a good English word that gives us the full breadth and weight of what Jesus is trying to communicate. 
This word that Jesus is trying to, that, that Jesus is communicating with here is a word that um, has its roots um, in, in a, in a, and a legal advocate would be kind of the sense that the word gives. Here's some of the problems with some of the other English words because they give you a word picture that isn't helpful. Okay? Helper sounds diminutive. It sounds pejorative. It sounds cute. It sounds inferior. The spirit may be cute, but he's not inferior. Comforter uh, sounds like something that you would put on while at a ski lodge or in the throes of winter. A counselor sounds like maybe a camp counselor or a marriage counselor. And that's not what we see going on here. The Greek word parakaleo is um, one who is called alongside, right? Para means around or along or alongside of. Um, a helper who is called alongside. Um, this has the ramifications of a prosecutor or an attorney. Now, some of you, especially some of you that have seen court dramas before, say, I don't like having a prosecutor living. That doesn't sound comforting at all. Go back to that word. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, Think about it. Attorneys argue for the truth. And what is the truth, beloved? What is the truth of the gospel that the Spirit would ultimately be arguing for within us? The truth is this, that if you are a Christian, you are a child of God, and you have a legal advocate in Jesus. Now, how do I, how do I get there? So in, not in John's gospel, but in the first epistle that John wrote, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus calls himself um, another uh, a helper, one that speaks in our defense. Uh, look over with me at John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2 really quick. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So there they're translating the word, the same word, but the same root that's used over in John 14, Pericoleo, is translated here as advocate. Jesus is calling himself a paraclete here in John 1 John 2. So what does that mean then? When Jesus said, I'm sending you another advocate, it means that Jesus has discharged his duties on earth of being his people's advocate on earth and will continue in that role of being their advocate in heaven. Jesus is sending another advocate then that will be the advocate with God's people while on earth. And that is what we see happening here. The Spirit is coming, another like 
him. The Spirit is coming as our advocate, as the one who would argue for the truth. The word comforter, by the way, we can also rescue that from uh, bad, um, bad mental images. If you take uh, to the word comforter, the old English definition, the old English definition of comforter um, was to, uh, to strengthen, to encourage, to aid. Um, so it's not necessarily a, a hand on the shoulder, kind of a, um, you know, if you're having a bad day, but it could be, uh, but to strengthen, to encourage, to aid. Um, In other words, the Spirit's ministry, the purpose of the Holy Spirit in coming to us, in coming to God's people here on earth, is so that we would have an advocate. We would have a helper, a counselor, a comforter. We would have the one who would come and continue the work that Jesus had begun on earth, that Jesus now continues to do in heaven, that we would have that advocate, that counselor, that comforter with us. He also says that he is going to give uh, us the spirit of truth. It is this idea that we are surrounded every single day by falsehoods left and right. So not only is there one who would need to, to advocate for us, to declare who we are, that we are, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King, but there is also the need that we would have one that would dwell within us that would actually expose truth from falsehood. This is what happens as Christians when we are um, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, we are now all of a sudden given uh, new eyes to see and new ears to hear um, the word and the world. We can actually understand what God is talking about. So that brings me to the third thing that I want to think about this morning. Which is, okay, got it, the, the Spirit is third person of Trinity. Good. Got it, that the Spirit is our advocate, our helper, the one who comes and uh, now dwells within us and makes his home within us, uniting us to Christ, and that's good. But pastor, I don't feel like that's happening in my life. See, most of us don't even want to admit that because we already know the Presbyterian stereotypes. And we don't want to say, I feel cold and I feel distant and I feel like God is out there somewhere. So maybe this is the one that you need to really listen to. What about the power of the Spirit? How does the power of the Spirit get in and get a hold of our lives in a dynamic way. Listen, God's relentless love for us is shown in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God gave his son to die for us and his spirit to dwell within us. This, this is gospel. This is truth. The spirit works in us convicting us of sin. You see, 
Rather than just our voices and our wills, when you become a Christian, now you have the voice of God, the presence of God in your life with you. Um, The Spirit wages within us a battle against sin in our lives. The Spirit convicts us of sin and brings people to repentance. He does this in love, but sometimes that love is the type of love that a friend would show another friend who's an addict. It's tough love. See, God's not against you. He's for you. But sometimes that for you is a tough love. But do you know why? It's actually because he loves you. It's actually because he's not content for you to just be left alone, to drift through your life. It is that he loves you and he is making you more and more and more into the image of the son whom he loves. But just stop right there because if you think that when the spirit is working in you, convicting you of sin, um, if that, that those words of conviction turn around and sound like condemnation, then we need to talk. Because the scriptures say the Spirit gave the Apostle Paul words to say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if the Spirit, if you think that it's, that it's condemnation, um, that it's guilt and shame that are being heaped up on you, then I'm afraid you're listening to the wrong voice in your head. The enemy works to magnify the thoughts of shame and guilt. If you need a refresher on this, go back and listen again to Kevin's sermon from last Sunday. The enemy works to magnify those thoughts and to say, that's it. You're out. You're done. You've done it this time. You have absolutely messed it up beyond repair. See, that's the work of the enemy. But it's the spirit who prods, who argues until we remember who we are, a child of God. When we sin and we feel like we need to run away, it's the spirit who comes in and says, no, you are a child of God. This reality doesn't change because you have failed. If you look at verse 18, what did Jesus say? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I remember vividly times in my own life where their Lord has graciously brought conviction of sin and he would not let me go until this this boxing match with the the old man and his ways within my soul and the spirit of life who was prodding me pressing me arguing with me until I remembered who I am you are a son of God Beloved, you need that type of advocate in your life. You need someone who is not going to let you go, who's not going to let you go with just mediocrity. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
I tend to operate like I should be kind of middle class in spirit. Just enough of God to do the kind of the heavy lifting, the hard work, and, uh, and the rest, I, I got this one. And I need the Spirit to push and prod and remind me that I am bankrupt. There is nothing that I bring that's worth anything. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling so what do you do when you have this, these moments where you feel conviction of sin, when you feel like all of the weight of the world is on you? Where does the power of the Spirit get loose in your life? In the uh, newer hymn before the throne of God above, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. J.D. Greer says this, he says, Where the gospel is not cherished, the spirit will not be experienced. And on the flip side, where the spirit is not sought, there will be no deep experiential knowledge of the gospel. Just hang with me there for just a minute. For a people who declare, who revel in, who, who uh, state as the, the solas of the Reformation, grace alone, and faith alone, through Christ alone. How would it be said of us that the Spirit seems absent in our midst? Where the gospel is not cherished, the spirit will not be experienced. Why? Because it is the spirit who points us to the glories of the gospel. It is the spirit who points us not just merely as a category of knowledge or as a set of principles, but as a dynamic fact. It is the spirit who opens our eyes so that we can see Jesus, so that we can behold Jesus. You see, uh, J.I. Packer says that the Holy Spirit has a floodlight ministry. It is his job to expose the glory and the radiance of Jesus. Another analogy is the Spirit works like a great pair of glasses. It is through Him that you see yourself, the Word, and the world with clarity. It's only through Him that you see Jesus. It's only through Him that you see the gospel. It's only through Him that you see all that is false in you and all that the enemy would argue for in your own life. It is only through Him that you would see the radiance and the majesty and the splendor of Jesus. as the one who has borne your punishment and shame so that you might have robes of glorious, resplendent righteousness. Beloved, when we think about what it is for the Spirit to be at work in our lives, there's so much more we could say. We could talk about how the Spirit inflames our desire for mission. We didn't even talk really about what I said at the beginning of uh, that Jesus said that the disciples should not lift a finger towards the Great Commission until the Holy Spirit comes. The idea of a Spirit-fueled mission 
is another sermon, unfortunately, for another day. The, the idea of, of union with Christ, that we, are, that we are a people who have been united with a triune God through the work of the Holy Spirit who is at work in us. The idea that um, when we open the pages of this sacred text, we see before us the words that the Spirit um, put upon the, uh, the hearts and the minds of the authors who were given divine inspiration to pen these words. These are God's words to us. There is no interaction with the text apart from the Spirit because it is only the Spirit that gives eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand what has been written here. In his book on the Creed, J.I. Packer says this. We'll kind of use this as a summarizing statement. He says, so that when I say as a Christian, I believe in the Holy Spirit... My meaning should be, first, that I believe personal fellowship across space and time with the living Christ of the New Testament to be a reality, which through the Spirit I have found. Second, that I am open to being led by the Spirit who now indwells me into Christian knowledge, obedience, and service. And I expect, (laughs) I expect to be so led each day. And third, that bless him as the author of my assurance that I am a son and heir of God. Truly, Packer says, it is a glorious thing to believe in the Holy Spirit. How is it that the Spirit comes in power in our lives? Let me give you a couple of thoughts as we close. First of all, part of it is for us to repent of thinking that we are powerful and admit that we are powerless. Second, that we would strive to see the ministry and the work of the Spirit as integral, foundational to our experience of life and godliness as Christians and not merely peripheral. That our, tr- that our trinity would be Father, Son, and Spirit, not Father, Son, and body of content to be digested and understood. And third, that we would pray for God to do what only God can do. You don't need Jesus as your co-pilot. You need the spirit inside of you. Verse 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Beloved, if you, like me, have experienced times in your life where the Spirit feels all but absent, what are you going to do? Are you going to pray? Are you going to wrestle with God and say, I am not leaving until I am filled with your spirit, until you have restored unto me the joy of my salvation? We'll close this morning with a prayer that A.W. Tozer penned in his book, The Pursuit of God. So pray with me. Oh God, I've tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want you I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me, show us your glory. We pray so that we may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within us. Say to our souls, rise up my love, my fair one, and come away. And then we pray, give us grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where we have wandered for a really long time. Father, we need your help. We don't want to quench desire. We want to see desire flamed and filled with you. And so do that with us this day. Bless our offering. Would these gifts be an outpouring of love so that the kingdom would be expanded and the name of Christ would be glorified. We pray in your name. Amen.